I'm going to just read uh, Psalm uh, 14 for you, and then we'll dive into it. Uh, the fool says there is no God is what it's entitled in the, the uh, English uh, Standard Version. To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge of the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generations of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. And of course, uh, before we move into that, uh, uh, the summary of Psalms that, that Pastor Wade has given to us, I've included it as well tonight. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. That's by Kendall Easley. And uh, certainly uh, the Psalms, uh, were, uh, many of them are designed strictly to praise the Lord. There are psalms of lamentation, there are wisdom psalms as well, uh, but many of them designed to, to give praise to God uh, because he is worthy to be praised. Now as we look specifically at Psalm chapter 14, uh, I've entitled it just as uh, the ESV version has, The Fool Says in His Heart There Is No God. And as we look and, and break down this psalm tonight, uh, we want to look at it from the standpoint of what we can learn from it and uh, what, it, what God is trying to say to us as he's captured and recorded this uh, in the canon of scripture. Uh, this particular psalm is a community lament. Now there are some differing opinions in terms of whether it's a lament or a wisdom psalm uh, or even an individual lament. Uh, I'm going to call it a community lament in which the people of God mourn the fact that humans in general do not seek after God. But, uh, thus, they treat God's people cruelly as well. Uh, if you look at Psalms 53, you'll see that it's almost identical, almost word for word. There's very little difference in it. Uh, and there, there are different uh, thoughts as to whether or not that, uh, you know, why they're so similar. But we're not going to worry about that tonight. What we want to do is just break down Psalm chapter four, uh, Psalm 14 and uh, see what it uh, says to us. Now, as I, as I read this and I, I posed for myself, what is the major question that I need to ask myself if, uh, you know, having read this psalm? Uh, I came up with this question. How do we live in the midst of a depraved culture? <clears throat> Because this psalm is lamenting the, the depravity that's all around them. Uh, and the reality that, that the evil people are oppressing those that are righteous. Uh, but ultimately we see that God is the one that will deliver. And so as we think about our culture today, we see a, a decrease in the morality. We see a breakdown in our family life. 
And we see a depraved nation and world in which we live. And so we find ourselves very much in this same situation. Uh, as believers, we're going to continue to see persecution uh, and insult against us increase. Uh, because we, as believers, are going to stand on the firm word of God and we're going to call sin, sin. And so we're going to be faced with persecution. But as we evaluate the, the culture that we live in, it is indeed a depraved culture. Uh, we're perverting morality. We're perverting the family. We're perverting marriage. Uh, we're killing babies. And there's, there's all kinds of things that are happening that are evil, that are contrary to what God is saying. And so how do you and I as believers live in a depraved society? <clears throat> And for me, as I break down this passage of Scripture, the first thing is that we must recognize the universality of, of depravity. It's all around us. And <clears throat> there's a term that's called total depravity of man. And what we need to understand is that every one of us have a nature, a sin nature within us, that we are subject to depravity as well. And so, depravity is all around us. We need to recognize that. From the standpoint of those that are non-believers, those who have rejected God, those who say in their heart there is no God, we cannot expect them to live any differently because their very nature is one of depravity. And for us as believers, we're constantly and consistently in a spiritual battle we live our life either controlled by the Holy Spirit or controlled by the flesh. And so even as believers, we've got to maintain an intimate, personal relationship with God because we are prone to sin as well. We have that sin nature in us. <clears throat> and so we need to recognize the universality of depravity. Verse, uh, <clears throat> verses 1 through 3 the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. You see, every one of us have sinned. There's none of us that, that has done good. Uh, and so, <clears throat> uh, I want us to look, at, look over at Romans chapter 3 so that we understand clearly Beginning with verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we need to understand that every one of us, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's no one that has done good. And, and then uh, look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Of course, before you even leave Romans chapter 3, 
you're going to find out that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. Now, this is talking about uh, the last days. Uh, but as we look around in our society today, we may very well be there. For the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than God. That's, a, that's an awful description of what mankind looks like. So we need to understand that depravity is all around us. Even us as believers, we have a sin nature. And that apart from Jesus Christ and being surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we're capable of unspeakable things. We're going to get to an answer to all of that after a while. So don't give up on me just yet. I've painted a pretty bad picture. The term total depravity denotes that inherited inherited pollution pervades the entire human character. There's none good. There's none righteous. Lewis, and so as we think about total depravity, let's, let's try to understand what it is. First of all, uh, let's look at what it is not. Lewis Burkhoff points out what the phrase does not imply. And the first one is that every man is as thoroughly depraved as he can possibly become. That doesn't mean that every person out there is, is completely and totally involved in every awful sin that there, there is to be involved in. But we do have that bent or that predisposition to sin, that sin nature. It is not that the sinner is without an innate knowledge of the will of God or a conscience that discriminates between good and evil. Even the unbeliever has a conscience and knows what's right and wrong. And he says it also, it is not that sinful man does not often admire virtuous character and actions in others. And so they can even admire good quality, virtuous qualities in others. And also it is not that every unregenerate man will indulge in every form of sin. Total depravity does not mean that every one of us are going to indulge in every sin that's out there. It's talking about that inherited pollution that we have that gives us that bent towards sin. And so here's what total depravity does mean. That the inherent corruption extends to every part of man's nature, to all the faculties and powers, both the body and the soul. Now, Living in the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not have to follow this bent that we have. We can, we can choose to obey God. But the reality of it is, is that that bent is there. And then he goes on to say that it does mean that there is no spiritual good, in other words, good in relationship to God and the sinner at all, but only perversion which deserves God's wrath. And so... If we put that in simple terms, basically every one of us have a sin nature and that apart from God, we are capable of 
despicable things. But in Christ, we do not have to do those things. But we have that nature within us. And so that's what depravity is. And that's what they're talking about. Those that have said there is no God and that they are living wicked, corrupt, immoral lives. And they are persecuting even the believers as they do that. And so now, as, as we think about the reality of the universality of depravity, let's see, the psalmist here describes the depraved in certain ways. And the first thing that he says there, uh, the, one of the first blanks in your note, is the arrogance of fools. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none good, no, not one. And so they say that there is no God. The word fool here does not mean an intellectual foolishness or an incapacity or a lack of capacity to, to learn but it's talking about a reality that they're practicing practical atheism. They may believe that there is a God that exists somewhere, but they don't believe that God is relevant for their life today. In other words, there, there's a, a distant God out there. He's not concerned, he's not active in our lives. So it's, it's a moral and a spiritual insensitivity to who God is and his activity in our lives. There are some that would say, I don't believe there is a God. But I believe that most atheists are actually uh, practical atheists who would believe that there may be a God out there, but he's not concerned about our everyday lives. <clears throat> and so the fool is arrogant. If we look at the actions of the fool, verse 1 says they are corrupt and evil. Do we have a lot of corruption in our society today? We do, don't we? In all kinds of ways. Do we, is, is there evil in our society? Yes, there is. They devour the righteous. You know, Satan is still alive and well, and he's leading in rebellion, and there's nothing more that he would like than to see us as believers attacked and defeated. And so we need to understand that they, the, the depraved of this world, the corrupt and the evil, they will attack us. And they will seek to destroy us. They will seek to influence us and destroy our witness in any way that they can. Uh, because... They're in opposition to us. And in verse 4 it says that they do not pray to the Lord. <clears throat> Have they no knowledge of all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? So there's, there's no prayer, there's no communication with the Lord. That's the way these fools, that's the actions that they have. They're corrupt and evil, they devour the righteous and they do not pray. And then we need to see the abundance of fools. In, in uh, verses 2 and 3, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man. Some would interpret the children of man to be the Gentiles at that time. 
to see if there is any who understand who seek after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so, if we look all around us, our nation is a greater number of non-believers than it is believers. And we're losing the battle. We're even losing our children. And if you look in Romans chapter 7 with me, it's, it's another passage that reinforces the idea that you and I struggle with sin in our life, and that we have that sin nature. Uh, let's start with verse 21. All right, we'll start with 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So even Paul is expressing here that those things that I want to do, in my mind, I know that they're the right things to do. They're the things that will honor God. But evil is, <coughs> evil is always right by my side. And in my flesh... I want to do those things that don't honor God. So he's speaking of that, that spiritual warfare that takes place. The war between the flesh and the spirit that you and I deal with every day. Now it, it manifests itself in different ways for different ones of us. Some of us, it may, it may, be, uh, it may uh, manifest itself in a financial realm. You know, a desire to, to, to have lots of money and, and taking some shortcuts to do it. For others of us, it may be in, a, uh, in the physical, sexual realm, uh, where that we're tempted and, and, uh, by sexual things. Uh, for others, it might be uh, power or position. But in, in so many different ways, our flesh is always desiring for those things of the flesh. But the Spirit is leading us and, des and desiring for us to bring honor and glory to God, not only in our minds, but in our bodies. And so that, that spiritual warfare is taking place there. And so we need to understand that, that uh, there's an abundance of fools. Any one of us can, can, be can become one at any moment if we're not walking in the Spirit, yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so the very first thing as we seek to live in this depraved culture is that we need to understand the universality of depravity. That there are evil people out there and, and they need Jesus. And that those of us that are following Jesus, that if we're not on guard, that if we're not careful, we're one decision away from, from being a fool as well. And then the, the second thing is that we must understand the futility of depravity. <clears throat> In verse 5, we see the anguish of fools. God's judgment will someday overwhelm them. 
They are in great terror, for God is with the generations of the righteous. So, who they're calling fools here are the depraved. They're, they live in great fear. One day God is going to judge them. You know, we, we know the end of the story. Satan has already been defeated. And at, at some point in time, there's going to come a great white throne judgment at the end of time. <coughs> and uh, we're going to see everyone that has rejected God is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to experience an eternity separated from God. And so we need to understand that they are going to suffer anguish. And uh, they live a life that is unsure. They have no hope for the future. So we see the anguish of fools. We see also that in opposition to that, God watches over his people. The Lord watches over his people. In verse 6, it says, You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. And so even though we might be persecuted in this life, that we might have difficulty in trial, we can know that the Lord is taking care of us and that he watches over us. And if, uh, if something happens to us, God has a greater purpose for it. So the Lord watches over his people. In the, threat, in the face of threats, the faithful must remember that God is their refuge and that he will protect them and defeat the evildoers. So we, we need to recognize the universality of depravity. We need to understand the futility of depravity. And then thirdly, as we live our life in a depraved culture, we need to recognize that our hope is in Christ. In verse 7, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. So David calls upon the Lord to rescue his people. One of the greatest things that you and I can be doing is, is praying for spiritual awakening in our nation. Calling upon the Lord for the salvation of lost people all over this nation. See, that's what David doing. Rescue my people. Oh, that salvation would come out of Zion. And, and we need to become prayer warriors for spiritual awakening and, and revival in our nation today. Prayer is one of the greatest weapons that we have. And so oftentimes we fail to use it. So our hope is in Christ. B, salvation has come out of Zion. It is the finished work of Christ on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ... Because we were unable to keep the law. We were unable to get to God through living a righteous life. We continually failed at it. 
God came to us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross. He lived a perfect life. He willingly went to the cross. And as 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He, God, who made him, Jesus, to be, who knew no sin, to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. He even cried out on that cross, It is finished. Salvation has come from Zion. You and I simply need to embrace it. It's real. And then we need to live our life in light of the reality of salvation in our lives. You see, the gospel is not simply for our salvation, but it's for our everyday life. <coughs> you see, the only way that I can love my wife like Christ loved the church is because of the gospel. Because of what Christ has done for me. The kind of sacrificial, unselfish, unconditional love that he showed. Apart from recognizing that and realizing that, I'm just going to be a selfish husband. And to be perfectly honest with you, I still struggle with it. That wasn't that funny, Miss Erlene. <laughs> I'm learning. But you see, the gospel is important for everyday life. We can only relate to those difficult people in our life. I call them EGR folks. Extra, gra extra grace required. We can only do that as it flows out of an intimate personal relationship with Christ and living a life of joy and peace because of what Christ has done for us. So salvation is not simply about me getting saved or you getting saved, but it's about me living my life in such a way that other people get saved. And they're impacted by the way I live my life, whether it be my wife, my children, or someone that I work with. Or someone that I just meet in Walmart one day. Or someone in the AT&T store that's not cooperating with what I want to happen. So we need to recognize our hope is in Christ. It's not in what this world is going to deliver or give to us. So salvation has come out of Zion. It is the finished work of Christ on the cross. This should lead us to worship. Should lead us to worship. This should bring such joy to us that we just worship God. Not just on Sunday morning when we gather here and have all this, this wonderful choir up here and orchestra playing all this wonderful music. But when we're driving down the street and the guy cuts us off, we ought to worship. Thank you, God, that you've given me this beautiful day in which to, to worship you in.
Somebody's getting a weather alert. That will lead us to worship. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Romans 6.23 is, uh, that's before 7, but I'm going to back up to there a minute. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all have that sin nature, that predisposition towards sin. We all yield to the flesh from time to time. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And it's found in Jesus Christ, our salvation. Now, if we go back to that passage that we read earlier. When Paul says, that I do those things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. It's sin that dwells within me. Then move to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ is going to save us. He's our only hope. He is our hope. And even though we have that predisposition to sin, in Christ Jesus, he's paid the penalty for every sin that we've ever committed and provided a way that we might be reconciled to God, provided a way that we might overcome all of the difficulties and trials and tribulations of this life and live a life of victory and peace. And that ought to lead us to worship him. And to rejoice in that. Now look at uh, Galatians 2.20 and we'll close with that. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we're all depraved. But we don't have to live that way. We've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live more abundantly, more joyfully, more wonderfully than I ever did before. Because the life that I now live, 
I live in Christ Jesus. You see what a difference that can make? I don't have to be burdened down by my past. I don't have to be under the power of sin in my present. And I have a joy and a hope that is sure because of Christ Jesus. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So yes, we can cry out to God over the depravity and the evil and corruption that's all around us. And we need to take a stand as followers of Jesus Christ. But let's recognize that we must be ever mindful, ever careful, ever vigilant. That we maintain an intimate personal relationship with Christ yielded to the Holy Spirit. In order that the lives that we live are pointing people to Jesus Christ. Because even we are prone to sin. Recognize the futility of depravity. God will ultimately judge. And live our lives in the hope, the sure hope of the victory, the salvation that has already come and that is sure that's found in Jesus Christ.